We read together this morning from the book of Judges again and chapter 6 again. And this morning we are reading verse 12 through 14. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, that is, Gideon, of course, there beating out wheat in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Turn with me again in your hymn book and we'll sing together number 176. Stand with me, please. His faith supports my feeble soul in times of deep distress when storms arise and billows roll. Great God, I trust thy grace. Thy powerful arm still bears me up. Whatever griefs before thou art my life, my joy, my hope, and thou my all in all. Be reft of friends, be set with foes, with dangers all around. To thee I owe. 
fears disclose in thee my help is found in every want in every strait to thee alone I fly when other comforters depart thou art forever not and thank you and be seated message titled this morning and I only just noticed the error in the bulletin and it's my error the title of the message if then why if then why or subtitle, Reasoning in Affliction. We've come now this morning to take up again our studies in the sixth chapter of the Record of Judges and have now made our way to this twelfth verse and the calling of that good man get in. I had brought a message over the course of the past two weeks in which I focused our attention not on Gideon but on that angel, that Christophany sitting under an oak nearby. I confess that the contemplation of that scene thrills my soul. And I know I'm very aware, although no one has said a word to me, that I grew quite animated in the treatment of it. For I confess it thrills my soul to contemplate that angel sitting somewhere nearby. would love to visit it again sometime at more length. But now today we will begin in earnest to consider this man, this judge in Israel, Gideon. His is a large life and thus a large consideration in the history of Israel's national experience and its story is pregnant with instruction to the saints, not only of his day, but of any age. I want this morning, which is most unusual for me, 
I want to go ahead and give you my overall outline by which I hope to open just these three verses, verse 12, 13, and 14. I want to give you that full outline up front so that you may not miss the larger picture of my intended study as I hope to open in more detail some of its doctrines. In other words, I would not have you to be lost among the trees and miss the grandeur of the forest. So I would give you the entire outline up front. I don't always use an outline, as you know, but when I have one, I do, and I like to give it to you. I intend, Lord willing, to entertain this question that Gideon puts forward when he says, Oh, my Lord, if, the Lord be with us. Why then? Why then? Is all this befallen us? I intend, Lord willing, to entertain this question. And so I want to show you under three heads. Number one, the context of the question. The context of the question. And number two, the consternation of the questioner. <laughs> and number three, the consolation of the questioned. Three points. These shall be the rooms which we may furnish going forward in the messages. These shall be the rooms which we may furnish to entertain the many guests of God's instruction. Israel, as we have noted already several times, Israel is in crisis in servitude to her pagan neighbors because of her own apostasy and declension. God has sent a man prophet, verses 8 through 10. God sent a man prophet and repentance has already begun her good work in song most especially in this mighty man of valor. Get in. Now, now the time has come that God has heard the cries of his sheep and in the divine appointment of his government, it is time for deliverance. And if I may just 
give you a thought as a sidelight. It is only he who knows when that time has come. It is not the fruit of some formula I remember in my many, many, many years in fundamentalism. How often that formula was read, if my people, which is all true right out of the word of God. But it was presented to me as if it were a chemical formula. That we could just get the right ingredients and mix them up. And God was obligated to do something. But I want you to know that God's restoration is governed by his own sovereign design and will. And all he knows when the time has come. It's not the fruit of a formula. It's not the result of a great program. Or the necessary fruit of some great man. It is and only is his sovereign timing. <laughs> it is his sovereign right. But now in our text this morning, we know from the record that that time has come. The time has come. Deliverance, as I called it, is brought, according to our text, in a way heretofore unseen. Christ, in some kind of a pre-incarnate form, has come down and commissioned Gideon, his instrumental deliverer, in person. He has come down in person. To commission this judge. <laughs> Sitting, verse 11, for some time under an oak nearby, he watches until at last he comes and speaks to Gideon there among the wheat in the wine press. As this angel appeared to Gideon, Gideon is profoundly in the grips of at least two powerful, consuming emotions. Number one, he is surely in the grips, in his meditation, in his thoughts as he labors with his hands, he's surely in the grips of that prophet's message. Verse 8, that prophet had said, I brought you up out of Egypt. I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out before you and gave you their land. I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And surely Gideon is pounding away at this wheat with this thought consuming his heart, the message of the prophet. And secondly, he's in the grips of another emotion, and that is his own 
desperation and danger. He is where he is because there's a great deal of danger. The Midianites are everywhere. And as he's laboring away in that place, you cannot believe, surely. You cannot believe that this man is just down there whistling a tune and enjoying himself in the warm sunlight of the sun. This man's heart is in dire straits and desperation because of where he is. There he is. There he is. And it is just there in this place of soul affliction that the angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, the Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> Once one comes to understand the scene, and this man, enveloped in Canaanitish idolatry, verse 25, and bruised by the word of God recently filling his heart, once you see the scene, it ceases to surprise our senses that Gideon's spontaneous and instinctive response to this statement from the angel is this, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then? Why then? Why then is all this befallen us? It ceases, I said, to be a surprise. And here we have it. The question of the ages. Why, Lord? Why all of this? This is the question which every sainted heart has grappled with Possibly several times. Why? So now, let us begin our inquiries and begin to furnish these three rooms I've given you. By the consideration together, number one, of the context of the question. I'll give you three Notices of context. Number one, notice in its context, in the context of this question, notice Gideon, the remembrance of previous delights. The remembrance of previous delights. Verse 13. Where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of. <laughs> oh, my stars. Poor Gideon. He remembers. There's the remembrance of previous delights. 
Where, he said. Oh, if the Lord be with us. Why then? Where are those miracles? It was Richard Rogers in 1615 who pointed out to us that clearly, we know from this statement, clearly the preceding generation had done as the Lord had commanded them to do and had taught their children these things. I mean, Gideon knew. <laughs> Gideon knew. Gideon remembered those previous delights. That former generation had done what God told them to do and they told their children about these things God had done for them. This is something of the context of the question. Gideon is remembering the previous delights. <laughs> oh, notice the context here. Gideon remembers. Oh, how often has some painful remembrance of God's former blessings caused our hearts to cry out, Why then? Why then am I here? I'm not defending this poor man's folly. I am not by that statement I just made defending this poor man's folly and blindness in positing this question. I'm just trying to show you from this record the context of the question. Oh, such is the fallen blindness of our depravity that all too often the sudden remembrance of God's former dealings with us, rather than fortifying our hearts in faith, it will cast us on the rocks of blinding despair and force our afflicted soul to cry out, God, why then? Why then? Why then? Oh, the sad folly of our Ignorant weakness. The context. In the context of this question, we see Gideon's remembrance of previous delights. But secondly, in this context, we see the recognition of present disaster. The recognition of present Disaster. Oh, verse 13. <laughs> oh, he said, He's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Am not I down here in this wine press where I shouldn't be doing what I'm not supposed to have to do? Are we not in distress? Look at where we are. Look at where I'm at. Oh, no wonder this is the context of the question. No wonder it brought out of his heart this glaring question. If the Lord be with us, why then? There was a recognition 
of his present disaster. Clearly, 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 this question boils up out of the foul waters of Gideon's present disaster. Like the muck from the ocean's bottom, this tsunami of statement from the angel has, has crashed onto the shore of poor Gideon's heart with deadly force. Oh, we often say that it's glorious day when God makes a man, when God makes a woman, when God makes a boy or a girl. It's a glorious day when God makes an individual sick from their sin. And yes, surely it is a glorious day eventually. Oh, but it's equally painful on that day to remember to recognize the present disaster. Oh, when the sinner is made to see, as Gideon here clearly has been made to see, the disaster that sin has wrought in our life, it's no wonder we cry out, Lord, if you came to deliver, why then? As I said, I'm not defending him. I'm just trying to get you to be honest with the context of the question. You remember a similar thing, very similar really, in Matthew 26 and verse, I think it's verse 75. There where the Lord Jesus looked at Peter. And the Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, the consternation. He wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. The recognition of the present disaster. But now look again and just see the context of this question with me. We've seen the remembrance of his present, pre previous delights. That was a context. We heard it from his lips. The remembrance of previous delights. We saw the recognition of his present disaster. That was the context of the question. But then finally there's the realization of painful desertion. Oh, listen. Listen what he said. Verse 13 at the end of the verse. But now, but now. The Lord hath forsaken us. Oh, there's the realization of painful desertion. But now the Lord hath forsaken us. Oh, my beloved friend, here is a realization that will surely press a heart unsupported by grace to cry out, Why? Why? Why then? Why then? Listen to me. I tell you unequivocally, it's better to die a thousand deaths. No man wants to die, not even once. We all look at that hour with dread, do we not? 
Only a man insane has lost his faculties. Does it look at death without a fear? Just one death. But I say to you, it would be better to die a thousand deaths and suffer the loss of all the world than to be forsaken of God. If you would care this morning to know anything of the horror, the soul-wrenching horror of this realization, of this condition, you would need to look no further than that agonizing scene yonder on Calvary and listen to the sinless soul of the Son of God who'd never known a single second out of the presence of His Father when He screams out from the black darkness of Golgotha's brow and says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why, oh why, God, have you forsaken you wouldn't know anything about the pain of this condition. You need look no further than Calvary. Here, I say to you here, here is the definition of hell. Forsaken of God. I don't know why I've not intended it, but mentioning fun, my fundamentalist days, but I remember it used to be a great thing, a big issue. And all of us young preachers, boy, we, we'd never miss an opportunity to jump on that horse and ride it. Talking about how literal the Bible is about hell. It's literal fire and it's literal this and, that, and all that's true. All that's true. I'm not denying any of that. I don't move my position. But let me tell you something, my friend, that horrors of hell is not the fire. <laughs> it's not the separation from your appetites. It's not the burning of the souls. It's being forsaken by God. There's a great sorrow, horror, Horror of hell. Here's hell's purest definition. Forsaken of God. Oh, if we're to get a rightful notion of the painfulness of this realization. In Gideon's context, we need to define the word that's used. When Gideon says to this angel, the Lord hath forsaken us. He used a Hebrew word notash whose root means simply this to smite to pound to beat out. God! God! It's Sliding. God had forsaken us. Oh, no wonder he cried. 
No wonder he cried. If the Lord be with us, why then? Why then? This mighty, this pounding, this beating. Or oh, if you'd like to see it more clearly, the horror of this. Look as well at that Greek word used by our Lord there on Calvary in Matthew 26, 27 verse 46. The root word forsaken me. It means to leave behind somewhere deserted. That's a horror, isn't it? Isn't that a horror? Have you ever experienced that? One of my earliest memories as a child, we had gone to see a parade in Anderson. I was a little bitty fella, a country boy. Spent most of my life without any shoes on. I just didn't wear shoes. We didn't wear shoes in the country. Man, I went to Anderson. That was like New York City to me. What a place. Look at these buildings. Didn't have anything in our county, even close to it. And then this parade. Oh, what a thing is this? <laughs> Never seen such pageantry. All this amazing stuff. And I was so lost in it. I, I was so mesmerized in it all. I must have wandered off. I don't know what I did. I don't know what happened. I don't know if the crowd moved or I moved. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I knew. I didn't know where my daddy was. <laughs> And horror flooded my soul. I'm in this place and these people. And I don't know where he's at. But daddy's gone and I was shocked. It's one of my earliest childhood memories. That's the description of this word. It, it means to be left behind somewhere deserted. And the Lord Jesus at Calvary cried out for them. Why have you left me? Why have you left me here? Where's my father? Where's my father? Horror seizes the soul. I don't know if you children have ever experienced that. I hope you never do. I hope you never do. It's a horrible experience to think that you've been left somewhere. Alone. That's what that word means. Oh, no wonder Gideon cried out, Oh, Lord, <laughs> if you're mother, why then have you forsaken us? This is the context, my friend. My beloved friends, this is the context of Gideon's question. This is the context of it. The context of the question. Could I invite you to look for just a moment now? I'll not finish. I know that. But I would invite you to look for just a moment at the consternation of the questioner. We've already talked about it some. But I want you to notice the specific wording of verse 13. 
as Gideon reacts to the angel's announcement. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? I want you to see in that those words the consternation of the questioner. This man, whose very location, whose very vocation, whose very disposition is designed to remain undetected and quiet, is so wrought upon by this announcement as to burst forth like a volcano erupting under extreme pressures, and he cries out, Oh, Lord! <laughs> Can't you just see him there pounding away at that wheat? Lost in the burdens and cares of his heart. And suddenly this angel of the Lord, or could I not more accurately call him the Lord, an angel, <laughs> appears to him and says, The Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. Oh, it was under the pressure of that statement that out of the consternation of this man's heart he cries out, Oh Lord! Could I suggest to you that this is no mere sterile academic response to some theological proposition? This is the deepest cry of a soul touched to the quick by a single word from God. Listen as blessed Timothy Rogers admonishes us with these words and take these lessons to your heart, if you will, from this outburst of Gideon. Oh, Lord! Rogers said the Lord sometimes disappointed our false hopes and putteth us to great plunges by holding us longer in our affliction to the end that we may search ourselves deeplier. I didn't know that was a word, but I love that word. Deeplier. <laughs> Oh, Roger says sometimes God holds us in an affliction. Poor Gideon's down here. He said he holds us in our afflictions longer that we may search ourselves deeplier and we may be more thoroughly touched with the feeling of our sins and rebellions and so turn to him in faith and amendment. For this cause the Lord holdeth us sometimes on the rack the longer as in pain, sickness, or penury, as also bondage to such as have superior right over us and use it to our great disquiet and wearying of us 
And we pray and long to be delivered. But the Lord seemeth not to hear us pray, but let the burden remain still upon us. Wherefore think we, wherefore think we, doth he so when he professeth that he afflicteth not willingly, neither delighteth therein, and yet we lie in pain and grief still. I answer, the Lord seeth we do not yet, we be not yet tamed and humbled sufficiently. Great hath the pride of our hearts been our inconstancies, our unfaithfulness, our uncharitableness, also with our other sins, and our minds are set on the world excessively and wandering after our divers lusts, and we are like to return to these courses again if we were set at liberty as soon as we desire. Therefore doth he seek to wean us from these and the like, by continuing such unwelcome crosses upon us. Oh, you see, the modern Christendom, the modern pulpits, they would say, God doesn't want us to suffer. Oh, God doesn't want you to suffer. Come and be with us. We're all happy. Look at us. Look what Jesus has done. God don't want anybody to suffer. Can I say this? Rogers didn't say this. I'm going to finish what Rogers said in a minute. But let me say this to you. God, hey, hey, look at the thing again. Look at this text. God is often nearest to us when we are deepest in our afflictions. Gideon said, so unwelcome is the cross, and so sweet is the contrary <laughs> to the flesh, that men have no ears to hear this doctrine, to believe that God is near unto them, yea, even with them in the midst of their sufferings. For why? Why? Because they look only at this. In my prosperity, God's with me. But now my state is contrary. Therefore, God is absent. Isn't that exactly what Gideon was saying? God can't be with us. The Lord can't be with us. Look at what we're in. And therefore, if any man be at hand to promise help or favor or relief in our sickness or our trouble or our loss, we lift up our, our eyes and open our ears to that voice, though it come but from a man like ourselves. But to God who hath promised, I will be with thee, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee, they cannot be comforted with that saying but still look full heaven 
and swearing with Gideon every one by himself, O Lord, if thou be with us, then why? Roger said he was much occupied in remembering and speaking of his forefathers, counting them happy for the miracles which God wrought for them in respect of himself. Hereby we see how common a sin it is among us that we measure our happy estate to Godward by our present sins. I mean by God's blessings or corrections upon us. Which who seeth not how an unequal rule it is to go by these things. Rare is that man, says Rogers. Rare is that man who hath learned this wisdom and giveth no place to the devil for whose malice it is that in temptation all things come contrary to that they be because we look upon them with a troubled eye and through a false glass. Are you looking at your troubles this morning through a false glass? I said to you, God is often the nearest when our affliction is the greatest. And poor Gideon was looking at this statement of this angel through a false glass. If the Lord be among us, then why? The sad consternation of the questioner. <laughs> Such is the effect of God's omnipotent word upon the frail and fallen heart of a struggling sinner. All oh, this modern quasi-gospel we have today would handle this blessed sovereign as if, and I've read some this week to my horror, they talk about this blessed sovereign, this blessed angel of the Lord, as if an introduction to Christ, to the Christ of God, was nothing more than some frivolous meeting of a beggar in the streets. It is not so. Gideon encountered him, and the effect was overpowering. He cried out, Oh, Lord! Oh, Lord, the consternation of the questioner. Gideon's question, I've said, erupted from the pain of a heart made raw and tender by God's operations. It reminds us, does it not, of that record in Matthew 14, verse 30, when Peter finds himself only one gasp, only one breath away from certain death there in Matthew 14, verse 30, and he cried out, Lord, save me. <laughs> he just cried out. Oh, listen. In that word from Peter, I do not find theological bantering about the state of water or the physical properties of gravity on the concentration of solutions and solids. Well, I don't find any of that 
No, all I find here is a desperate cry from a heart made desperate by God's own hand. Lord, save me. Save me. The word comes to Gideon and Gideon cries out, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. And so it was with Gideon. He cried out in the deep consternation of his heart. And his cry reveals the anguish of fear of his struggling mind. If, Lord, then why? Gideon, poor Gideon, poor Gideon. This angel of the Lord, or as I said earlier, the Lord, an angel, finds him totally degraded. Isn't that where he finds us mostly? Totally degraded. Number one, he was threshing, which was the job of a servant. Number two, he was threshing by hand, which was the job of an oxen. Number three, he was threshing in a wine press, which is not the place to be threshing. You see, he was totally degraded. And poor Gideon, the shock is so severe to his soul at the announcement of this ever-blessed angel. That he's reduced to the state of a mind. He's reduced to the state of mind that I think is best reflected in the words of that other Lord with a little L. In the book of Second Kings and chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria then a lord little L a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said behold <laughs> if the lord would open make would make windows in heaven could this thing be <laughs> do you see the desperation of that question <laughs> what you said, what? There'll be barley and wheat ever, and it'll be, what? If God made windows in heaven, that couldn't happen. <laughs> That's about where dear old Gideon is. When this angel comes to him and says, thou mighty man of valor, you're going to deliver Israel. <laughs> oh, it just couldn't be possible, could it? If it were so, then why? Why all this? Can I say to you this morning just one final time? Such is the consternation of the questioner here in our context. We've seen the context of the question. We've seen the consternation of the question. God willing, on next week, I want us to linger yet a little while and look a little closer at the questioner to the strength and admonition of our needy souls. Stand with me and we sing together again. This time in the words of hymn number 600. <clears throat>
and 25. When overwhelmed with grief, my heart within me dies. Helpless and far from relief to heaven I lift mine eyes. Oh, lead me to the rock that's high above my head and make the covert of thy wings my shelter and my shade. When overwhelmed with grief, my heart within me dies. Helpless and far from all relief, to heaven I lift mine eyes. Oh, lead me to the rock that's high above my head and make the covert of thy wings my shelter and my shade. Thy presence, Lord, forever I'll abide. Thou art the tower of my defense, the refuge where I hide. Thou gavest me the light. Of those that fear thy name, if endless life be their reward, I shall possess the same. Thank you.